Well, amen. Hadn't the music been great? Thank you, Cindy. And Ricky on the keyboards, and that's Caleb Lamb sitting on the box. That's a special box. If you ever watch the Andy Griffith show, it's kind of like Mr. Darling's Jug. You get all kind of sounds out of that box. I was asking him after Easter, how do you get so many sounds out of it? He explained to me, there's a complete drum set in that box, and there's a little dude in there. But it's dark, and that's why he has to keep tapping on it to keep the guy awake. It's Mother's Day, and I don't know how many of these. I read some uh, some mother sayings this week. We'll share just a few with you. There was like a hundred of them. I'm not going to read them all to you. But just see if some of these sound familiar. If you can remember mom saying these, or mom, if you can remember ever saying these, here's here's a few. A little birdie told me, all I do is follow you around picking up after you like some kind of maid. Call me when you get there just so I know you made it. Close the door. You don't live in a barn. Do you think I'm made of money? Don't go out with that wet head. You'll catch cold. Don't make me get up. Don't sit so close to the television. It'll ruin your eyes. How do you know you don't like it? You haven't tasted it. I brought you into this world, and I can take you right back out. I can't believe you sleep in this filth. I didn't ask who put it there. I said pick it up. I hope someday you have children just like you. I'm doing this for your own good. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Money does not grow on trees over my dead body. Put that down. You don't know where it's been. Say that again, and I'll wash your mouth out with soap. Anybody ever had their mouth washed out with soap? (laughs) There's a few of you. So it's raining. You're not sugar. You won't melt. So what if Bob's mom let him do it? If Bob's mom let him jump off the Empire State Building, would would you want to do it too? This hurts me more than it hurts you. What part of no don't you understand? When I was your age, I had to walk 10 miles through the snow uphill by myself to go to school. When you have your own house, you can make the rules. A little soap and water never killed anybody. Always wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Are you going out dressed like that? Bored? How can you be bored? When I was your age, I was never bored. Don't make me come in there. Go ask your father. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. If you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Were you born in a barn? Close the door. When you have kids of your own, you'll understand. You could have called. You better wipe that smile off your face before I do it for you. That's enough. Listen, mom has taught us a lot of things, and some of them are real important things, like don't play in the road or don't play with a razor blade. There are things that moms or dads, you'd be real upset if somebody came behind you later and said, you know, what your mom said about that is really not true. That's what Paul is addressing in Galatians. The Galatian believers were like Paul's children. About three years earlier, he had been there with Barnabas, had started the church, had led these people to Christ. They'd come to faith in Christ, were beginning to grow, and everything Paul taught them, there's these outside Judaizers that are coming in and saying, that's not all true, or we're going to add something to that. 
And so Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, and what we looked at last week was really the intro, but there's something significant missing from the intro. Every other letter that Paul writes, he does something he doesn't do in Galatians. In fact, it was the custom of that time in the first century to, to provide really a welcome and a thanksgiving. Paul kind of cuts through the welcome, skips the thanksgiving, and gets right to the meat of it and says this, I am amazed. So in first chapter of Galatians, beginning in verse 6, let me read. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you have received or we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul has heard about the condition of the Galatian Christians, and the only word he could think of it is, as the word got to him, he now writes a letter back to those churches, and there's several of them, is the word, I'm amazed, I'm bewildered. I'm struck in wonder, my mouth's wide open. I've heard the news. I can't believe it that you are so quickly deserting. Now, quickly could be a couple of meanings. One, it's only been three years, and for some of them less than three years. You started well. What's causing you now to begin to desert? But I think it even carries a bigger meaning, and that is this. These Judaizers hadn't been there that long. And you've put up little or no resistance. You knew the truth, and yet all it took was somebody with a different message, and you're starting to desert. In fact, the word he uses for deserting is a, is a military term. If somebody in the military decided to change sides, it was an action punishable by death, and Paul is using that term to say, you're changing sides. You ever played the old, you know, schoolyard pick where one person picks out of the crowd and another person picks and you get picked on this team, you start sizing up the other team, and you're kind of thinking, I wish I was on that team. <laughs> That's really what Paul's saying is you are the, in the process, it hasn't been fully completed yet. That's why he's writing the letter while there's still hope. I'm amazed that you're deserting so fast him who called you. You've been called of God. You've responded to the gospel message. Him who called you by the grace of Christ. And folks, that's the turning point you've got to get throughout the whole book of Galatians. Paul is saying, you came to Christ based on grace. What does that mean? Let's talk about this for a minute. Grace means this. You didn't deserve it. There wasn't something you did that earned you salvation. There wasn't some work that you performed. God didn't look down from heaven and pick you out and say, because you're doing such a good job, you can now be my child. He didn't send down a list and say, if you'll do these ten things, you can be my child. God offers mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve death. The wages of sin is death and we've all sinned so god's grace here's the other option work 
If you look at pretty much every other religion in the world, is right here. Works. You got to try to do these five things. You got to do this. You got to do that. If you're able, you do this. And you're going to be judged. You're going to face God someday, and it's really going to come down to how did you do on the list? How are your works stacking up? Let me just tell you, if that's what we're going to get face God with, we're all in trouble. So Paul's saying you had a message of grace, you responded to it, and that is you got something you didn't deserve. Why in the world would you turn from that to this? And here's the scary thing. They didn't even think they were turning from it. The Judaizers didn't come and really say, all that stuff you don't need to believe. What they said was, that's good, but you need to add this. Some of the things they were adding were circumcision. Men, you came to faith in Christ, you're 40 years old, you've got to be circumcised. Women, not only do men have to be circumcised, but now you've got to go back and keep perfectly all of the Old Testament law. What was the purpose of the Old Testament law? The Old Testament law was good. You know what it showed us? We need a Savior. Who kept the Old Testament law perfectly? Jesus. Nobody else. Not Moses, not Abraham. Nobody kept the Old Testament law perfectly. Even people like David, who God says, a man after my own heart. There are people that God said, he is righteous. But it wasn't based on his works. It was based on faith. Our righteousness comes through faith. It's, it's by grace through faith. Not, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And in case you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but Robert, wait a minute. If I come to faith in Christ, aren't there works I'm supposed to do? Sure. The same second chapter of Ephesians that says you're saved by grace through faith also says right after that, verse 10, you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yeah, there's things God wants you to do, but we don't do those things to earn his forgiveness, to earn his love or to gain salvation. We do them because we have that. Because we're his child, we do those things. So Paul is saying, you've responded, you're turning to a different gospel. The reason Luke wrote the gospel of Luke is that at the time of his writing, scholars tell us there were over 70 other gospels that gave shades of Christianity. So Luke in chapter 1 says, there's a lot of people writing stuff. I'm writing this so that you'll know the truth, Theophilus. That's who he writes to. In fact, Paul says it's, it's really not another gospel at all. Because it's not the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. This is good news, grace. This over here is not good news. It's not good news for somebody to hand you a list and say, you want to go to heaven? Do these 25 things. Even these five things. And do them perfectly, by the way. You really want to face God with a list? No. You want to face God when God says, why should I let you into heaven? Because I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm throwing myself on the grace of God and his mercy, not on my keeping of the law. He said it's really not another. In fact, they're disturbing you. The word disturbing means to shake violently. What Paul's saying is, I wish I could be there to defend you personally. I'm writing this letter because you need to understand there are sheep, there are wolves in sheep's clothing that have entered the flock, and they're lying to you. They're selling you a fake product. It won't get you closer to God. In fact, it's getting you further away from God. They're disturbing you. They're selling a fake, and they've tried to distort the gospel, literally to turn about or to... Con- Convert it into something else. Why do they do that? This is 
there's a difference in the message. And, Paul, and Paul's saying, they're telling you something different. They're distorting the gospel. I started thinking about today. What distortion do we hear today? I hear people in church say things that they speak as if they have the authority of God, as if it's something that's actually in their Bible. I want to share a few of them, and some of these are going to upset you. I hope they upset you enough that you go to Scripture and find out what's the truth. Because at the end of the day, that's what we do. When we hear a preacher on TV, the radio, or live and in person, you need to check out what he's saying. Is it scripturally accurate? Here's some things I hear. I like this one. Well, my Bible says. I love that because it's implying it's probably not in your Bible, but it's in mine. If something's in your Bible that's not in my Bible, it's probably because you put it there. Another one I heard just this week. Well, heaven needed another angel. Some people think when you die, you go to heaven and become an angel. You do not. Angels were created. They're all the angels ever going to be have been created. What are you? You're a saint of God is what Scripture calls you. You don't become an angel. Another one is you're the, you're the center of the universe, really. You come to church and it's all about you. And I've heard this comment, well, they're not meeting my needs. I understand it may be you're in the wrong church. You need to get somewhere else. But if you come to church with a consumer mentality that what are you doing for me, what about what are you doing? Are you serving in the church? The church isn't there to meet your needs. The church is there to train up the righteous to reach the lost. The church is there to bring glory and honor to God, not you. Here's one. I heard my grandmother. Well, you know what the Bible says. God helps those that helps themselves. Is that in Scripture? No. In fact, it contradicts what is in Scripture. What does the Bible say? God helps the helpless. Listen, if you could help yourself, you don't need God. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross if you could help yourself. Here's one that I hear quite often. We, we, uh, we hire summer staff here, and we have an application process, and there are certain things we ask, what are your conviction about these biblical or even social things? And I've noticed the last couple of years, we're all afraid to give our opinion because we use this excuse, well, it says I shouldn't judge. Well, what does the Bible say about judgment? 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13 says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Paul's saying, you're supposed to be doing that. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You're called to make judgments. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 says, The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not judged, is not subject to any man's judgment. So, yeah, I'm not saying you go around with a big Bible hitting people in the head. But part of the accountability we have in the church is when somebody inside the church is doing something that contradicts Scripture, you go to them. Say, so let, let me ask you, so help me understand here. This is what I believe the Bible teaches, and yet this is what you're doing. Here's one I hear all the time. God will never give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? That is not in Scripture. Wake-up call. That is not a biblical concept. Why? God regularly puts more on you than you can handle. Why? So that you will turn to God. If God never gives you more than you can handle, you don't need God. And that's the way some people live their life. I got this, God. And we only turn to God as a last resort. After we've tried everything else, then we say, well, maybe God. Maybe I should pray about it. 
You think? Now, what does the Bible say? First Corinthians says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can endure, but with every temptation will provide a way of escape. Some people have taken that verse and taken it further than that and say, well, God will never put on you more than you can handle. No, God allows more to come into your life than you can handle because he wants you to trust and believe and lean on him. Or the last one, you must do this in addition to the cross. And there's whole denominations that it scares me what they do with folks that they want to add something to the cross. Philippians says those become enemies of the cross. Here's what we need to do. Focus on the truth, and then you'll be able to spot an error. If you know the Scripture, and you hear somebody say something there, well, the Bible says, and it, and it just doesn't quite pass the smell test, search it out. If you can't find it, go to somebody that you trust their walk with Christ and say, here's what I heard. Is this true? And find out what the Scripture says. So there's a difference in their message. There's also a difference in the messenger, and Paul makes it so plain. One of the privileges I had a number of years ago was to go and speak to a group of teenagers in the Ukraine. And when I say teenagers, they were called youth, but basically they were from about 12 to 30. Until you got married, you were still part of the youth group, about 1,500 of them in Ukraine. And part of what I noticed over there is that that country, when I was there, had been closed to the gospel for so long that people were spiritually starving for spiritual truth. Here's the problem. Because the gate got opened and everybody could come in, they were getting bombarded with an avalanche of spiritual-sounding truth. Every cult and denomination in the world now had access to the former Soviet Union. As I said, you know what, I'm here for 10 days. And I'm going to share the truth with you. I want you to check it out in Scripture. But here's what i got to leave you with. When I leave and you hear somebody come in the name of God and share anything, check it out with Scripture. This is the truth. What I say, what they say, if it doesn't square with this, it's not the truth. Paul puts it this way. Listen, even if we, who's we? That's Paul and the people with him. When he says, when he writes his introduction to the letter, he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God, and those who are with me. Paul's saying, here, even if we came to you and preached a different gospel, don't listen. And then he said, he's to be accursed. Literally, he is to be eternally condemned. That's strong language. Paul's basically saying, if I was to come to you and preach to you a gospel other than what's been delivered to you, based on Scripture, based on my knowledge of God, what's been once delivered to the saints, I need to be accursed, eternally condemned. And then... He says, even if an angel from heaven. Now, would an angel from heaven come down and share something that wasn't true? No, not if they're from heaven. But the Jews believed, based on Hebrews chapter 2, that it was the angels that delivered the law. So he's simply saying, if these Judaizers come and tell you that what they're telling is angelic message, listen, if it doesn't square with the truth of the gospel, let them be accursed. In fact, he said, as I've said before, I'm going to say again. He's not just talking about I just said it the verse before. Paul's saying, I said it before when I was there. Close to three years ago, this is what I taught you. This is what I told you. 
If anybody brings a gospel other than that, let them be accursed. What's the motivation of bad messengers? Well, there's bad messengers today. Some of them stand in pulpits like this. Some of them are on the radio. Some of them are on television. I just made a list, a few things. One, some are just holding to traditions. It's just tradition. It dearly doesn't square with Scripture. It's just tradition. Others, they're jealous of others. I think the Judaizers were jealous of Paul. These people were following Paul. They wanted them to follow them. So what do they do? To make themselves look better, they ran Paul down. Number three, desire for control or fame. The Judaizers certainly wanted to control the church in Galatians. They thought they had good motives. But their motives were dangerous because they were preaching a a gospel contrary to the true gospel. Some, Some of their motives are they're just trying to justify their position. They've already decided what their position is. You ever been in an argument with somebody, once they dig their heels in, they're not going to change their mind no matter what. No matter if you come and give them facts in their face, they're like, oh, that's what, I don't believe that. It's not what my Bible says. <laughs> Some do it for money. My mother told me when I told her I felt like God was calling me into ministry, the first thing she said to discourage me was, there's no money in that. For the most preachers, you're right. But for some, there's a lot of money apparently in it. Be careful. Some some motives is for crowd size. The Bible says in the latter days, people will assemble them assemble around them preachers who will tickle their ears. In other words, not share the truth, not preach the gospel, but just tell them what they want to hear. There was this sweet man on staff, one of the churches I served as youth pastor. He really didn't fit in this category. He was just the sweetest guy. But I could go into his office and share with him, and say, and I'd say, I think this is what I ought to do. He said, yes, yes, that's what you ought to do. And then I would, I would flip it and say, yeah, but you know, I'm thinking about this right here, and maybe this is what I ought to do. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what you ought to do. I thought, it can't be. His name was Marcus. I was like, you, I can't do this and this. They're mutually exclusive things. But you love somebody like that because they'll agree with you no matter what you say. You leave feeling good. You got the warm and fuzzies all over, and there's some preachers that that's kind of what you leave. You leave feeling warm and fuzzy. Why? Because it's really all about you. Here's a question to ask of the preachers you listen to. Are they preaching the gospel, or is their message so centered on man? Spurgeon said this, if you meet with a theological system that magnifies man, flee as far as you can. Last thing in the last verse, above all else, please God. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the reason I came there at first to evangelize you, the reason I write these letters, he wrote 13 in the New Testament, the reason I'm writing Galatians to you is because I've made a decision that I will please God above all else. Am I now seeking the favor of man or of God? Paul kind of put, am I, am I seeking to please men or am I seeking to please God? Because he ultimately says, if I was seeking to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. If I were still striving to please men, what's Paul saying? There was a time that's exactly what he did. He went by the name Saul, his Hebrew name. 
And he went and got letters from the high priest so that he could go and persecute believers. He was pleasing the religious establishment, and that was Paul's motivation. Now, he thought he was working for God, but the truth is he finally encounters God, doesn't he? And Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What a dangerous position to be in as a preacher or even a child of God to think what I'm doing is serving God and find out, no, you're not serving God, you're working against God. Listen, if your goal in life is to please men, you won't be a servant of God. Years ago, before I came here as pastor, I traveled full-time and did youth evangelism. And I was speaking at camp up the, up the road, up in Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach. And it's about the only time I, this ever occurred. I, I came back to the room where even the kids were, and I said, I'm kind of hoping they're going to send me home. Because here's what I encountered. There were three youth pastors, and at least two of them that were over this retreat, I could tell all they wanted to do was be cool. Their goal was for all the kids to like them. Well, one way to get people to like you is just tell them what they want to hear. And don't tell them the truth because that might hurt. And so I got up one night and said, listen, if your goal in this Christian life is to be cool, you can't possibly serve God. Because you're serving man. You literally have become a worshiper of man, not of God. Now, it's nice when people like you. And for the most part, if you tell them the truth, they will because the Bible says the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. That's true. And it really is true. If you love somebody, you'll love them enough to protect them from harm and evil. And if they get that, they'll understand they really did care enough about me to tell me that. But if you just want everybody to like you, just don't rock the boat. Don't tell the truth. Just figure out what's politically correct and stay right there. Paul said, if I just wanted people to like me, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. And I love what he says in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to flip there. Just write this down. 2 Corinthians 2, excuse me, 11, beginning in verse 23. Listen to Paul's life. He says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the, on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. You hear what Paul's saying? If Paul wanted to escape all of that, what does he do? He just starts going along with the flow. And you could do that too. If you want everybody to like you, just go along with the crowd. But if you take a stand for Christ in this generation, it may cost you. It may be difficult. It may be hard. And Paul is saying, listen. If I was still striving to please men, I wouldn't have to go through all this. But the truth is, I am now a bondservant of Christ. That literally means a slave. And so what do we do? Here's just a personal checkup as I close. 
Are we seeking to please God or men? First, check your prayers. What does your prayer life look like? Is your prayer life all about me? Three-year-olds are good about saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. If our prayers are just that, now, is it, okay to God and, is it okay to go to God and ask him for things? Absolutely. James says that God is a giver of every good gift. God wants you to let him know your heart. But at the end of the day, if that's all you talk to God about, then who's it about? It ain't about God anymore. It's about you. Here's what I want, God. Do this for me. Or are your prayers also flavored with worship? Where you acknowledge there is none like God. Where you acknowledge where you would be without God. You're thankful. You're praising Him. Check your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? Check your service. Do you only serve God when other people are looking? Do you only serve God for the pats on the back? I I had somebody in church one time say, you know, I don't mind being a servant. I just don't like being treated like a servant. Well, if that's your attitude and people treat you like a servant, you'll quit serving God because you don't like the way people are treating you. Please God above all else. At the end of the day, here's what Paul's saying. Galatian Christians, it's not too late. I preached the gospel to you. The word means good news. I really gave you good news, and you received it as good news, the best thing you'd ever heard. Stick with that. Stick with the good news. Church in America, 21st century. Folks gather today at Garden City Chapel, Mother's Day. Stick with the truth. Stick with the good news. Continue to dig into the Word of God because it's good. And you'll understand the error when you hear it out there in the world. And at the end of the day, know that what you did today, you sought to please God. Are you going to be perfect? No. You come back to God and say, God, I blew it. I messed up. Forgive me. He will. He already has. But at the end of the day, come back and say, God, tomorrow is a brand new day. God, I ask you to be my strength tomorrow because I want everything I do to bring glory and honor to your name. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for that truth. It sounds simple, and yet, God, the truth is it's a little difficult. God, we live in a world where there's a whole lot of spiritual stuff being preached. Help us to tell the difference between what's from you and what isn't. Help us to know the truth so our ears just perk up when we hear something that's not right. And it drives us to Scripture to check it out for ourselves. Protect us from the false prophets that are many. God, I pray other people would come to faith in Christ because they see you lived out through us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.